be so proud of the accomplishments of these kids, and they have worked so hard to, to memorize their verses, to study about missionaries, to do all kinds of different work, and um, I'm going to be fully transparent with you. What they have done uh, since these past several months um, in memorizing Scripture honestly puts most of us as adults to shame. Like we have, we have pushed them, we have stretched them, and they have risen to the occasion um, and done all those things, and so uh, I wonder sometimes if we didn't take on more of their kid-like mentality of just doing those things. How much we would, how much better we would be. But uh, I just want to thank you as a church uh, for you kids that did these programs and memorizing these verses. I want to thank you as leaders who participated and you invested. Um, and I say this personally: you invested in my kids. I've got one who just finished uh, the whole program, and and so you have been a part of that. You've invested in my kids' future, my kids' eternity. So thank you for that, for investing in all three of them. Uh, but not just mine, but for all the kids that have been part of our program. And so thank you for the time, the energy that you've given that. And one of the reasons we invest so heavily in Awana is because of the goals that they have. And one of their goals um, is not just to win awards, not just to get certificates. And that stuff is great, but that's not what Awana is all about. You see, one of the goals that Awana has is that they want to build lifelong disciples of Christ. People who are going to fall in love with Christ and live out that love of Christ, not just when they're kids through memorizing Scripture but in every day, in every act of their life. And honestly, I don't know of a better goal to have for your kid. If you wanted a life goal for your kid as a parent, that should be it. That you want your kid to be a lifelong disciple of Christ. And, and honestly, I don't know a parent or a grandparent that's sitting in this room or watching online, I don't know a parent or grandparent who calls themselves a Christian who doesn't want that for their kid who doesn't want to have their kid to be a lifelong disciple of Christ, not just to, to wind up in heaven one day with them, but to follow Christ, to, to know His commands, to live His commands each and every day. The problem is not that's not what we want. I think, honestly, the problem is we don't know how to get there. That We're struggling with how do we go from this little bitty baby that we hold in our arms to these uh, the toddlers that start walking around, to, to, to preteens, to teenagers. How do we walk them through all of those stages of life to get them through the cross to be a disciple of Christ for the rest of their life? And, and for many of us, what we've constantly kind of joked about and said is we really wish there was some kind of instruction manual. Like, when, when didn't they get, We missed that part in the hospital. Like, when you, when you got your child and you were ready to leave the hospital, like... There was supposed to be an instruction manual that came with your child. And so years later, you're like, if I only had an instruction manual for raising this kid, this would be so much easier. If, I only, if they'd only gave me an instruction book when they, took, when they gave me my baby, it, life would be great. But we're going to have a moment of transparency for just a second. If they gave you an instruction book for your kid, the day that you took your kid from the home, home from the hospital, none of you would have read it. Okay, let's just be fully honest, and you're like, yes, I would have. No, you wouldn't. Don't lie. Okay, and I'm going to tell you how I know that. One, because I don't know any man that reads instruction manuals. Okay, none of us read instruction manuals. We just figure it out as we go. All right, so we wouldn't have read it if they gave it to us. And number two, I don't know anybody that had time to sit down and read when you took your newborn home. If you did, let me know, because apparently we did it wrong, okay? Because I don't know anybody who sat down and was like, I'm just going to sit down and read this 3,000-page book and just enjoy my time. Like, if you sat down with a newborn, you probably fell asleep, okay? You weren't trying to read a menu. You weren't trying to focus on stuff. And so I'm fully convinced the reason that God didn't give us an instruction manual when he gave us our kids at that moment was because he knew that it wasn't going to work for us. 
So what he did instead was he gave us an instruction manual thousands of years before he gave us kids. In fact, before you ever thought about having kids, he gave you the instruction manual for raising those kids, and it's called the Bible. And we're like, well, yeah, that's, that's easy to say that. But I want to share with you this morning, we're going to kind of look at the book of Proverbs. We've been working through the book of Proverbs for a while, but we're going to focus on this week and next week. What does it look like to, pro- to parent the Proverbs way? What are some instructions? What are some things that the book of Proverbs, what's the wisdom that it tells us that we can be better parents? All right? Because I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know any parent that's like, I'm the parent of the year. I'm the best parent. Well, honestly, uh, I'm the best. Like, I've got this whole parenting thing figured out. Right? I'll be, again, honest with you. April and I thought we had that figured out because we had one kid who like slept and everything was great. And then we had a second kid. And then we had a third kid. And we're like, whoa, this parenting thing is a lot more different than we thought it was going to be. Like, we thought we had it figured out. I don't know any parent that thinks they have it all figured out and that they have it all perfect. So all of us are going to gain some wisdom. Even if you're sitting here and you're like, I'm not a parent. I'm a grandparent. I'm past that stage. There's words of wisdom that's for you as well. If you're not to the point of being a parent, there's words of wisdom for you here as well. So I want to just one simple verse. Uh, it kind of gives us probably the most popular verse uh, in the book of Proverbs when it comes to parenting. And it's just simply this, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6. Um, and don't, let me just be clear, don't get too excited. Just because we're going to read one verse doesn't mean you're done in like five minutes, okay? I know you guys aren't used to that, so we're just going to read one verse, but we're going to talk about a lot of others. But Proverbs chapter 22, verse 6 says simply this. It says, teach a youth about the way he should go. And even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for who you are. and We thank you for this time together. God, we thank you for these kids and the investments that they have made in time and energy to study your word, to memorize your word. And uh, God, literally hundreds of verses that they have hidden in their heart, that they have treasured your word. God, and I am so thankful, uh, God, that you have allowed us to have these programs here at this church and, and that you have allowed us to have leaders that will willingly do what they do each and every week, God. God, I thank you as a parent that my kids are, are being challenged to do this each and every week. God, I thank you that there are leaders... And there are men and women in this church that are challenging my kids and helping to grow my kids to be lifelong disciples. God, I thank you that we as a church have invested in this, not just with people, but with finances and with energy and all that we are, God, because we see the value of being a lifelong disciple for Christ. And so, God, I pray this morning that as we work through your text, I pray that as we study your scripture, God, that we won't just see this as this is another church thing. But God, I pray that you are opening every one of us who are parents' hearts, God, to hear your wisdom, to hear your instructions to us this morning. God, this morning I pray that we walk out of here maybe with a little different attitude, a little bit better wisdom, a little bit more knowledge than we walked in here with, Father. And so, God, I pray that we are open to you. God, I pray that we are ready to hear your voice and hear you speak to us this morning. And God, whether we are a parent or a grandparent or whether we're just a spiritual parent of someone else, God, I pray this morning... God, that we will learn your wisdom, that we will learn to parent the proverb way. Father, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I read a story this past week, and it kind of resonated with me a little bit growing up in a construction background. And uh, the story goes like this, that there was a man who was a builder, and he called the pastor one day, and he said, listen, I really desperately need to talk to you about something. Is there any way you can meet with me this afternoon? And the pastor looked at his schedule, and he said, yeah, sure. If if you're that desperate, I'll come by your office this afternoon, maybe about 2 o'clock, and I'll meet with you. And so the guy said, great, I'll, I'll meet with you at 2 o'clock. So at 2 o'clock, the pastor shows up at the man's office, and there's blueprints. If you've ever been in a contractor's office or a builder's office, there's blueprints all over the place. And uh, he walks in, he says, come on in, and the, and the pastor sits down. And he says, well, what is it that you wanted to talk to me about? 
And he said, well, it's my family. It, it, is, it is an absolute train wreck. And the pastor said, well, well, tell me what's going on. He said, well, you know I've got three kids. I've got a son, and I've got two daughters, and they're all teenagers now. And I'm honestly convinced that they are in a competition to see which one's going to drive me to the loony bin first. He said, I've got one who's fallen in love with this young man, and, and uh, they, they've kind of gotten some legal trouble. I've got another one who's gotten some trouble at school and started acting out at school and falling behind their schoolwork. And the other one, it just, if you just look at him wrong, he just yells. And he just screams. And, and even if you like, think you're being nice to him, he's just going to yell and he's just going to scream at you. And, and I, just, something has just fallen apart with this. And the pastor said, wow, that, that, you really are going through a lot. I, I hate to hear that. And he said, well, I want, I want you to tell me, how do you think all this happened? And the man said, well, that's the problem. I don't know how this happened. I don't know how we got to this place. Because we thought we were raising our kids right. We thought we were doing what we were supposed to do. We, we took our kids to church all the time. If there was something going on in church, man, we had them there. And we made sure they were in church. We even paid to go send them to the private Christian school in town, the best one in town. We worked extra jobs to pay for that. And so we thought we were doing everything we could to raise these kids right. But something has gone terribly wrong. And the pastor asked him, he said, well... Let me ask you this. What do you, what do you mean that you did everything you could think of to raise them right? And the man said, well, I, I just told you. Like, we took them to church. We made sure they were in church. We put them in this private Christian school. And he said, but apparently none of that's worked. So what I need is I need you to come over to my house. And, and either you talk to all of them together or one of them or however you do your, what you do. And, and I'll make it work out. Like, you just do what you do. And they'll listen to you because you're a preacher. And everybody listens to preachers. And the pastor just kind of was shocked that anybody listens to preachers. And he thought, and he just thought for a moment, he said, So you, you want me to show up at your house and straighten your three kids out? And the man said, Yes, that's exactly what I want you to do. And the pastor said, Well, let me, let me ask you a, a question for just a moment. And the guy said, All right. He said, You're a builder, right? And he said, Yeah. He said, How many homes have you built in this town? And the guy said, well, I mean, I don't know, hundreds, hundreds of them. He says, has anything ever gone wrong with one of those houses? Like, have you ever had one that failed an inspection of any kind? And, the, and the, the builder was like, well, yeah, I mean, it happens. We really try not for that to happen because it slows us down. It keeps us from progressing. Like, we really go and try to prevent that from happening. The pastor said, well, how is it that you try to prevent that from happening? And he said, well, we do lots of things. He's like, I study the codes, and I know the codes, and I make sure that, that, that I know the latest codes. And he said, and before a subcontractor starts on the job, I meet with them, and we go over the codes, and we go over the blueprints, and I make sure that they know and understand everything that's supposed to be going on. And he said, and then they know that I'm going to check up on them. And, and they know that I'm going to keep an eye on them. They know I'm going to come by, and I'm going to be part of what's going on. Even though I'm not here all the time, they know I'm going to check up on them. And he says, before we schedule the real inspection, the, every subcontractor and I, we do our own inspection. Like We walk through the house, and we make sure that everything is to code like we know it should be. And the pastor said, well, that sounds like a pretty good plan. Does that work? And he said, most of the time, I and mean, we, we hardly ever fail inspections because we make sure that we do everything right or get it right before we call in somebody else to do inspection. And he says, yeah, but it sounds like you're doing a lot of work that's supposed to be a subcontractor's job. Like, you're the one knowing the codes, and you're the one checking up, on, and you're the one doing all this stuff. And he said, well, yeah, because at the end of the day, I'm the one who's got to sign off on that paper. At the end of the day, I'm responsible for this house being built. And the pastor said, so let me get this right. You don't just hire subcontractors, hand them a set of blueprints, and say, all right, good luck, I'll see you on inspection day. And the guy's like, no. 
That's the craziest thing I've ever heard. There's no, I would never pass an inspection if I just turned it over to a whole bunch of subcontractors. And pastor just said, well, that, that's kind of interesting right there. He said, well, what do you mean that's interesting? He said, you wouldn't just turn over a house, something as important as your job in your house. You wouldn't just turn that over to a group of subcontractors and say, here you go, good luck, I'll see you when it's all said and done. But that's exactly what you did with your kids. And the guy said, wait, what do you, what do you mean that's what I did with my kids? And he said, you remember I asked you what all you did to raise your kids right? And he said, yeah. And he said, the only thing you told me was the subcontractors you hired to do your job. And the dad said, what are you, what are you talking about? And he said, the church that you took your kids to, the private school that you paid for your kids to go to, me, myself, we're just subcontractors. And we're here to help you, and we're here to help you any way we can. But at the end of the day, the one whose name goes on that line for those kids is you. You see, God didn't give your kids to this church. God didn't give your kids to that Christian school. God didn't give your kids to me. He gave them to you. And at the end of the day, the one responsible for raising your kids was not the subcontractors. It was you. And if we're going to do what we're supposed to do as parents, the first thing we've got to learn is that as us as parents, it is our job to instruct them in the ways of wisdom. It is our job not to rely on subcontractors. It is our job to make sure that at the end of the day, we are the one responsible for building our home the way it should be built. And so I'm going to look just at a few verses uh, that, that we have looked at before. We're going to back up and, and we cover these verses before. And you don't have time to look through all of these, but if you just want to jot the numbers down, or they're probably in your uh, outline that you have. Uh, but I want to read through just a few verses and you'll pick up on a common theme. Chapter 1 verse 8 says this, Listen, my son, to your father's instructions and don't reject your mother's teaching. Chapter 3, verse 1 says, My son, don't forget my teachings, but let your heart keep my commands. Skip on over to chapter 6, verse 20. It says, My son, keep your father's commands and don't reject your mother's teaching. Chapter 7, verse 1 says, My son, obey my words and treasure my commands. If you've seen that, there's a common factor in all of those that every one of them is addressed to my son. In fact, if you go backwards through the book of Proverbs, kind of what we've covered already, and you start looking at chapter 2, all the way through chapter 7, the very first verse of every single chapter starts almost the exact same way. My son, or listen, my son. Don't forget my son. Every single one of the first verses of every chapter from chapter 2 all the way through verse 7 starts with addressing the son. And we're going to look at one new proverb that we haven't looked at and it's chapter 23, verse 22. And it says, listen to your father who gave you life. And don't despise or don't disregard or don't discredit your mother when she is old. Right? So it's slightly different in this new one that we were looking at uh, because it doesn't directly address the son, but it's kind of the implied here. If this is the father, then he's talking to a son or he's talking to a child. And so what you really want you to understand is that we as parents, we so often look at these verses as commands to our children. We look at these verses and say, the Bible says that you're to listen to me. The Bible says that it's your job to, to pay attention. The Bible says that, that, that you're supposed to listen to me and obey me. And you're right, the Bible does that. It does say that. But I want you to be clear that the responsibility of these verses isn't just on the child, it is on the parents as well. You see, it is our kids commanded to listen, but the question we've got to ask ourselves is, what is it they're commanded to listen to? And the answer is through over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs, is they are commanded to listen to my instructions, my teachings, my commands, my words. You see, you've got to understand that if the kids are commanded to listen to my instructions, then that means I've got to be given instructions. 
If the kids are commanded to follow my commands and to treasure my words in their heart, guess what that means I've got to do as a parent? I've got to be giving them instructions and giving them commands. You see, what we've done is we've subcontracted that out to a church. We've subcontracted that out to a church or a school, to a WANA program, and we say, somebody else will do that. And what we've done is we've hindered our kids' ability to follow Scripture because guess what? They can't obey what they're not taught. They cannot achieve righteousness if we don't give them instructions. And so we can sit here and say, the Bible says you've got to listen to my instructions, but if you're not giving them instructions, then they can't do their part because you didn't do your part. If we're going to parent the Proverbs way, if we're going to parent through the wisdom of God, then we've got to do it our part. I want you to understand that this is us. This is us as parents. It is our responsibility. They can't follow and listen if we're not the ones talking. And so I want you to understand, you can flip through the whole book of Proverbs. In fact, you can flip through the whole Bible. And never once are you going to find that your child is commanded to listen to the words of the pastor. Never once. All right? Let me go a little further. You're never going to be told, their kids are never going to be told to treasure the teachings of their WANA leaders. They're never going to be told to keep the commands of their teachers. As great as Miss Kelly was to stand up here and organize all that she does, never in Scripture is Miss Kelly mentioned or her job description mentioned. None of what she does is mentioned in Scripture in the fact that your kids are commanded to obey her. Over and over and over again. Do you know where the responsibility lies? And none of the, what you are sitting around it is in you as a parent alone. You see, God didn't give your kids, like I said, to us as a church. He didn't give them to me as a pastor. He didn't give them to Miss Kelly. He didn't give them to the Wana leader or any other teachers. He didn't give them to the Bible teachers at your school. He didn't even give them to teachers at school. He gave them to you. Because at the end of the day, you are the one that's responsible for them. The responsibility to instruct them, to teach them, at the end of the day, it is yours. And i got to be fully honest with you. The further our country progresses the more this becomes applicable to each and every one of you and each and every one of us. You see, there used to be a time in our nation's history, and maybe it wasn't always true, but we just kind of took for granted that us and the people around us kind of had the same worldview, that us and the people around us and that we exposed our kids to, we shared the same values, right? That you could send your kids to school and you could send your kids to Johnny's house to play, and, and, and you could expect that, that what you taught those kids at home and what you believed was the same thing that Johnny and Johnny's parents believed or the teachers believed at school, and, and you just expected that the, the values and, and worldview that you had was the same thing being taught at school. Well, I've got news for you. You can't do that anymore. Okay? You cannot trust that the values that Johnny and Johnny's parents have are the same values that you have. You can't trust that every teacher at every school your kid has from kindergarten all the way through college is going to share your worldview or teach your worldview. All right? In fact, I've got news for you. Some of them are going to be anti your worldview, and they're going to make it very clear that they don't believe in your worldview, and they're going to fight against your worldview you got to know that every kid and every teammate and every friend that your kid has is not going to share the same worldviews and same values that you do. And i got a news for you. That not every group that's labeled as a ministry or a church is going to give your, give your kids solid biblical truth. It's not going to happen. You can't just assume that anymore. So guess what? The responsibility comes back to us as parents. Why? Because if we don't instruct, somebody else will. Listen to me, parents. The hard conversations that you want to avoid, somebody else will be more than glad to have with your kids. The conversations that you don't want to talk about because it feels uncomfortable to you or that you want to push aside because maybe they're not ready for, guess what? They're ready for it and they've got questions about it. And if they're asking questions, somebody's going to give them answers. And if it's not you, it's going to be somebody else. 
This world is full of people and ideas that want to give your kids answers. It's full of places that are eager to instruct your kids. And if we're not the ones that are going to do it, they're going to get it from somewhere else. And so if your kids aren't getting answers from you, if they're not open to ask you questions, then somebody else is going to do it. And I can almost guarantee their answers and their explanations are not going to be the same that yours have been or should be. And so I want you to be clear that the verses of Proverbs over and over again start with this simple truth. If we're going to be parents then we can't just claim a title of being a parent and then subcontract our kids off to church and school and expect everybody else to do what is our responsibility. Our kids cannot listen to our instructions if we don't give instructions. Our kids can't obey our words if we don't give them words. Our kids cannot treasure our words in their heart if we don't give them the words that are in their heart to start with. And the more our culture shifts away from Jesus, the more we have to do this at home. Because they're going to come home with more questions than they have answers for. They're going to come home with facing a different worldview than you and I did. But i got to share with you, the, the, let's back this up for a little bit. If we're going to instruct it, then we've got to know it for ourselves. All right? We've got to be willing to do that. And so we do that because part of being a parent the Proverbs way is understanding that our responsibility doesn't end with just the words that we say. It carries over to the life that we live. That it's not just our responsibility to teach them words of wisdom and teach them instructions. It's our responsibility to live those out and to be an example, to exemplify this is what it looks like to be righteous. This is what it looks like to live a godly life. And not that we're perfect, not that we're going to get this right, because we're not every single time. But Proverbs teaches us that if we're going to parent this way, then we have a direct influence on the lives of our kids. And let me give you two verses in the book of Proverbs to show you what I mean. The first one is Proverbs chapter 14, verse 26. All right, So look at this for me, the first one. It says, In the fear of the Lord... One has strong confidence. Now, most people, when you look at that idea of fear and confidence, most of us see those two things as opposites of each other. You can't have fear and confidence together, right? They're, they're, it's an oxymoron. You can't have those two. If you're in fear, then you don't have confidence. And if you, are in com- if you have strong confidence, you don't, you're not afraid. But I want you to see how this connection, because there's not error in the Bible, so there's a connection that's working here, because our fear is not in what's going on around us. Our fear is in the Lord, which means we have a reverence for Him, which we have a respect for Him. We are literally awestruck by Him. And so it's not this fear of punishment. It's this idea that we respect His authority, that we respect how awesome He is. We acknowledge that He is immeasurable, and He is great, and He is strong, and He is mighty, and He is good. And so we are fearing Him means that we honor and revere Him, and we stand in awe in Him. And And that leads us to this place of great confidence because suddenly we realize that the God that we trust in, the God that we believe in, the God that we put all of our confidence in is so much bigger than we ever gave Him credit for. And so suddenly we realize that our strength is about this big, but it doesn't have to be enough because He is enough. You see, when we stand in fear of the Lord, when we stand in awe of the Lord, we suddenly have this strong confidence because it's not in ourselves and our abilities, it's in Him. It's in how amazing He is and how great He is, how big He is and how strong He is. He's strong enough even when we're not. And He's strong enough because we are not. He's sufficient and He's big enough. And so our confidence doesn't come in ourselves. It comes because we have an amazing God and we see how big and how great He is. And so our confidence isn't in ourselves or our parenting ability. It's in Him. And so I want you to see how this bleeds over into the lives of our kids. Pay attention to the last part of the verse. I'm going to read from the beginning all the way through the end of it this time. It says, In the fear of the Lord, one has strong confidence. Here's the part I want you to pay attention to. And his children have a refuge. 
You see, a refuge is a safe place. It's a shelter in the storm. It's a place where you are protected when there are dangers that are surrounding you. It's a place of hope when there are winds and waves that are tearing everything apart. It's a place where you can trust and you can have security. Regardless of what else is going on, this is the place that you know is comfortable and safe for you. And you rest there. And you have hope regardless of what's going on on the outside. Because you're in this refuge. There's hope that's there that's nowhere else. And so this is what your kids have when you have strong confidence in the Lord. You see, when you demonstrate your faith, it bleeds over into your kids. When your kids see you have faith, it gives them faith. When your kids see you stand in awe of the greatness of God, it gives them peace and assurance to know that they don't have to be good enough. They don't have to be strong enough because God is. When your kids see you stand in the strength of an almighty God and they know they have a safe place to run when life gets too much and life gets too hard, when all the world is falling around them, they know there's a place they can go and trust that He is safe and he is secure. And they didn't get that because they memorized a couple verses in the Bible or they showed up to a water program or you dropped them off. They got that because they saw you live that out. They saw when your world started to fall apart and how you clung to God in all of it. And they knew that's a safe place. I can go there too. They knew that when the struggles were real and everything was hard, that you clung to God. And you said God is sufficient and he's strong. And when my kids' world starts to fall apart, I don't want them to come to me because I'm not sufficient, but He is. They have a refuge. And I'm only praying they have a refuge and they know that refuge because they saw it lived out in their parents. Let me give you another example. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 7, how we live our life impacts our kids. It says this is how we exemplify righteousness in verse 20, chapter 7. It says, The one who lives with integrity... Is righteous. Another way to say that is the one who is righteous lives and demonstrates it through integrity. And this idea of integrity is that, that there's consistency in what you say and what you do. And so something righteousness is not just something we talk about. It's not just the, the words that we use in church. It's not just those church words, but it's a way that we live our life. In other words, what we say that we believe, we actually live that out. And if we talk about treating each other fairly, we actually do that. If we talk about uh, the importance of coming to church, that we actually do that as parents. If we say that we actually believe there's this God who can handle our problems, we actually trust Him to do that. You see, there's integrity, there's consistency in what we say and what we do, that we actually walk the walk, that we talk the talk, and those two are the same. We actually believe what we say and say what we do, the standard of God and then what He sets for our lives. We believe those things, we trust those things, and to show it in integrity means that we walk that walk. And again, this bleeds over into our kids because at the end of the verse, I want you to see what it says. The one who walks, or excuse me, the one who lives with integrity is righteous. Here's the end of the verse. His children who come after him will be happy. You see, the word happy can also be translated as blessed there. And so there's this benefit, this reward for my righteousness and my integrity, but it's not just for me, it's for my kids that come after me. You see, because if we raise our kids in a life that is consistent, they have security. And they have a blessing of knowing that things are consistent. But I want you to understand, you all have been around people and you've worked with people that one day you walk in and you talk to them and they're just as nice as they can be to you. And the next day you walk in like they bite your head off. And then one day you walk in and they're just nice. And so you never know. And so you're kind of on this eggshell kind of relationship with them. Some of you have had coworkers that way. And, and you just don't understand like one day to the next what's going to happen. And you know what that feels like. Well, I want you to imagine, take yourself back to when you were a kid. 
And what that feels like for a kid when they don't know one day from next whether mom or dad's going to live up to what they've said and what they believe or, or if they're not. If there's an inconsistency in your life that doesn't match what you say. If we say church is important but we don't go to church, that's an inconsistency. Guess what? Your kids are going to feel that pressure and their tension. If you say that you believe in the Word of God and you don't read the Word of God, your kids are going to feel that inconsistency in your life. They're going to know that. If you say that you believe prayer is important and we're going, to, we're going to campaign and we're going to say, hey, we need prayer back in school, guess what? I'm more concerned that we've lost prayer in our homes than we've lost prayer in our schools. You see, our kids need to see us praying before they need to hear their teachers praying. It goes back to it's our job as parents. And it's our job not just to say the words, but to live with an integrity, live with a consistent lifestyle so that our kids know that when we talk about treating somebody fairly, we actually do that. When the Word says that we, we love those who are enemies, that we actually do that. When the Word says that we do for those who cannot do for themselves, that we actually do that. Your kids need to see you live that out, not just talk about it. Because if you just talk it and don't walk it, they see an inconsistency in your life and they don't know what's true anymore. And if you don't know what's true, then you cannot be happy and you don't know where your blessings come from. And so I need you to understand as parents, it's not just the words that you say, it's the actions that you follow through with. And so let me just kind of give you this, maybe this is a little too harsh. But if you're not going to walk the walk, then don't talk the talk anymore. If you're not going to walk it, then don't preach it to your kids. Maybe this is harsh and maybe I shouldn't tell you this as a pastor. But if you're not going to study the Bible, don't bring your kids to Awana that's going to study the Bible. Because what you've told them is this is good when you're a kid and you need this when you're a kid, but when you're an adult, you don't need this anymore. It's useless. You see, they know it. They see it. It's inconsistent with them. No, you want a happy life for your kid? You want a blessed life for your kid? Then walk the walk and talk the talk and make sure the two match up together. Make sure you're consistent and you're living in your way that is righteous and you're living in a way that's, that shows it's consistent with integrity. David Gusick, one of the commentators that I'll read quite often, he says the greatest gift that a parent can give a child is for that parent to be a righteous, upright person who walks in his integrity. That type of parent will create a home and an atmosphere that will be a blessing to a child. Did you hear that? The greatest gift that you will ever give your child is to be a righteous person who walks with integrity. Let's see. I don't know if you remember gifts that you give your children or not. Some of you may. Some of you may not. But I want to tell you that I've done lots of funerals for lots of parents. And I talk with their kids. And never once has a kid ever said, I remember when my dad gave me this. I remember when my mom gave me this for my third birthday or my fourth birthday or my fifth birthday. They don't remember the gifts that you give them when they are kids. Do you know what they remember at the end of your life? Your relationship with Christ. They remember your walk more than any other gift that you're going to give them throughout their whole life. And so I'm going to echo exactly what he said. The greatest gift that you can give them is not things that you can buy. It's not money. It's not a huge inheritance that, that, that you can, they, they don't have any other cares in the world. None of that is the greatest gift that you can give your kids. The greatest gift that you can give your kids is to be righteous, to walk with integrity. And so they're going to see this consistency in your life. And they're going to know this is how you live. Because not only have you told them, but you've lived it. And so they're going to reap the benefits of it. They're going to reap the blessing for it. And so listen, every parent and every generation, and when you ask them, what do they want? for their kids, I want them to have a better life than what I have. I don't want them to struggle the way I have. I want them to have more and, and do more than I was able to do. Did you really mean that? 
Because all you meant was I want them to have more money than I had growing up. I wanted them to be able to buy stuff that I couldn't buy growing up. That's a totally different, that's not biblically sound. That's not parenting the Proverbs way. But the Proverbs way simply says this, if you want a better life for your kid, then you've got to live a more righteous life yourself. If you want a better life for your kid, you want blessings and happiness for your kids, then make sure your words and your actions are consistent with each other. See, we're going to parent the Proverbs way. It's our job as parents. We've got to instruct them in righteousness, but we've got to live it out in each and every way of our life. See, next week we're going to finish up this idea of living or parenting the Proverbs way, and we're going to talk about when things do go wrong and how we discipline, because there's lots of verses about that. But this is the foundation, because if we start with our job as instructing, and our job is living consistently, and making sure they see that in our lives, then the other part's going to become a whole lot easier for us. The best gift that you can give your child is to live a righteous life and to walk with integrity. Let's pray together.